It's a good day, everybody. Hello. Hello. I'm Corey. I'm Holly. And this is a new episode of Sister Strange. Um, how you doing, kid? I'm doing. You doing? I'm doing. Yeah. My back is giving me issues, but sorry. Eh, it is what it is. So, if you've been living under a rock the last couple of days, you haven't heard that Joe Biden is president-elect. Um, and I cannot wait to watch Donald Trump be dragged kicking and screaming out of the White House. Like a toddler having a tantrum in a store. Isn't he also trying to, like, do the whole voter fraud thing? Well, yes. So I learned recently, and and I'm mostly sure this is correct, um, they can't do a recount if the margin between the votes is more than 0.5% states that Biden had that majority in is more than 0.5%. Like, fill it up, fill it. Pennsylvania had a 0.56% margin um, in in Biden's favor. So, and the justice system seems to be having none of it. I, I saw a graphic, I think on Instagram, about all the, the litigation and all the lawsuits that Trump has started in the last, like, three days. And... Uh, most of them are have been denied, and the the judges have real fun stuff to say about it. Yeah. So. But that's not that fight is over. No, absolutely not. Because um, the Republicans don't they still hold a good majority of the House and Senate? From what I understand, right now it is balanced. Okay. Um. But Georgia has a runoff election in. January, January, I think. Um, so Georgia will be decided. But again, our fight's not over. Um, just because we have a Democratic president who stands on um, the policies that I think largely we're in support of, it just means that now things have to be followed through. Yeah. Um, that means we have to, as best we can, break down the systemic racism in this country. And that's just to start. So I'm pleased with the outcome of this election, by and large. Um, anything else we want to chit-chat about? I don't know. I don't have any exciting news. You sent something to the podcast email the other day, didn't you? Uh, I did. That was a while ago. It was a um, it a was cold an case. update on a cold cold. Yeah. Day. It was an update on a cold case. I sent it to the podcast email because I would have lost it and forgot about it, and I just happened to have my Gmail open. Yeah. Um, so there's a cold case. I want to say from either the fifty. 50s to 70s, I don't remember which it was in that time frame, um, that finally has a lead, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have to find the article again, which is why I sent it to the podcast. Yeah. Email. It's all good. We can talk about it. Maybe that's another episode. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, this week, um, this is also going up on a Friday the 13th. So happy Friday the 13th. Happy Friday and, the 13th. Um, if you haven't already, check out our first Friday the 13th episode, which was in May. I want to say May. Let me double check now. It's either April or May. I will look. March. Yes. Um, so if you haven't already, check out our episode 10, which is our first Friday the 13th special, which is a brief history of Friday the 13th and the murder of Kitty Genovese, um, which really just sort of established a 911 system, which Kitty Genovese is really important for that. Um, even though her death was tragic. So, yeah. But this week, we are going to chit-chat about some of the artifacts in Ed Lorraine Warren's Occult Museum, which is now defunct. It has been closed. Um, and it has been closed for a little while. Yeah. Um, which is sad. Um, I think there were some zoning issues. Last time I heard, because it was a residential area, but it was still being run as a business. I'm not yeah. super sure. Um, so, one day soon, maybe we will see that reestablished. But Holly's going to get us started. I am. Yeah. So, before I get too started, my uh, sources are learningmind.com, Wikipedia, and I found a really good. Um, download like uh, digital book called Seekers of the Supernatural Presents Conversations with Ed uh, by Taffy Selaham. Um, it is available on Apple Books for 99 cents. It's 14 pages. Um, super, like super exciting. Sounds like it's more of a pamphlet, but it's like actual interviews with Ed and Lorraine over certain like there's one for the Amityville Horrors there's one for haunting in Connecticut funeral homes miracles all that good stuff so there's a lot of if you're interested in um like learning more or reading more conversations of Ed and Lorraine this would be a really good series to start with because it's their actual, like, um, it's their actual accounts, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Like, it's all of that compiled. Like, if there's a specific haunting or something like that that you guys want to look into, um, check out the entire series, because there's a whole bunch of stuff. So, to... Give you a little bit of background. I usually name my script something silly. The title for this particular script is A Literal Brick. <laughs> because it is. And Lorraine brought back a brick from the Borley Rectory, which, if you guys don't know, this is supposedly one of the most haunted places in England. Um, so I'm going to cover a little bit of the background, um, a little bit of Ed and Lorraine's 
because uh, I've been there a couple times. Um, I'll cover a little bit of their um, experiences, and I'm going to cover a little bit of the uh, ent- one of the entries into the Conjuring universe, because, yes. So, in the Conjuring universe, the first movie in the timeline is the 2018 film The Nun. But did you know that that particular nun was based off of a very famous ghost at the most haunted house in England. So the Borley Rectory was built in 1862 to house the rector of the parish of Borley, Austin Ellis Bull, and his family of 14. The new home was built on the remains of a structure that was burned down in 1841. Soon after the family settled into their new home, they started experiencing activity. One of the daughters, Ethel, experienced footsteps and knocking at her door when she was having a nightmare. The entire event hit its peak when she woke woke up being slapped by an unknown force. In 1900, four of the Bull's children reportedly saw the most famous ghost of the rectory, the nun. So the legend behind the nun is that um, the place that was burned down was the Benedictine Monastery that was supposedly built in the area around 1362. According to legend, um, a monk of the monastery conducted a relationship with a nun from a nearby convent. After the affair was discovered, the monk was excommunicated and the nun or the monk was executed and the nun was bricked alive in the convent walls. Um, the legend has been discredited. However, no one knows for certain if something like this actually did happen or not. Um, it is speculated that the unfortunate nun's name was Mary Larry and that her ghost haunts the grounds to this day. So we're going to jump forward a little bit to 1927 when another family moves into the home, the Smiths. And after they moved in, they didn't stay for long. Aside from seeing the nun quite often, the family also experienced audible bells at night. There were no bells on the premises. Um, A ghostly horse and buggy that made no sound that would pass through the grounds in the dead of night. And to top it all off and push everyone over the edge, Mrs. Smith once even opened a cupboard to discover a human skull. Oh, that sounds normal. Mm hmm. So the next family moves in in around the 1930s is the Reverend Lionel Foster, his wife, Marianne, and their daughter. Marianne was the main subject for most of the paranormal activity. She reported multiple different types of activity, including um, being physically harassed hearing very audible paranormal experiences, like, to an extreme degree. Mm -hmm. But she later went on to say that she fabricated a number of these experiences to cover up an extramarital affair with one of the other residents that was also living on the grounds at the time. So, after the 
evacuation, it drew attention from multiple paranormal groups. One of those particular researchers was renowned Harry Price that visited the rectory in 1929 before the, um, the reverend and his family moved in. Upon his arrival, the phenomenon had began to increase in intensity. Um, it took on a more violent character, such as throwing objects, uh, messages in mirrors, and other similar things. Um, he, Price even claimed to see the ghost of the late Henry Bull. He would later go on to write a book called The Most Haunted House in England, Ten Years Investigation of the Broiley Rectory. In the 1930s, he returned again when he took out a one-year rental agreement with the Queen's Anne Bounty, who owned the property at the time. He recruited 48 observers, who were mostly students that stayed there on the weekend, with the instructions to record any and all activities. They made claims that they contacted the spirits, um, most notably the nun, who pled for them to cut, cut her earthly ties. Um, and the most shocking evidence that they had acquired was during a seance, a ghostly voice predicted the destruction of the rectory by fire. Now, unlikely as it seems, the ghost was correct. In 1939, the new owner of the rectory, Captain W.H. Gregson, knocked over an oil lamp while unpacking. The fire quickly spread and the rectory was destroyed. The insurance company concluded that the fire was intentionally set after an So many different paranormal groups have visited the rectory, including the Society for, for Physical Research and the Warrens. The Warrens, in fact, visited the rectory multiple times, stating that they had seen the nun, they had experienced um, the auditory paranormal ex uh, experiences. Um, they didn't see the horse and buggy, though, which made me a little on the sad side. But mm. they did it, Lorraine experienced great despair um, coming especially from the nun. And apparently the nun does not like wet, like men. Um, so the nun of the Burley Victory has become the most, one of the most well-known ghosts of England. To the point where the movie The Nun was, in extreme quotes, very loosely based on her. Um, in August 1943, Price con conducted a dig in the cellars of the ruined house to discover two bones thought to be of a young woman. The bones were given, given burial in Liston Churchyard. The parish of Broly refused to allow the ceremony to take place on accounts of the local opinion that the bones were found, the bones found were those of a pig. However, a lot of people believe that those bones were actually of the nun that got bricked into the walls. That's some Edgar so, and Poe nonsense. A little bit. <laughs> so, so 
after their last trip to the rectory, um, the Warrens decided to bring back a literal brick to display in their museum. Um, and it was on display for a very long time until the museum unfortunately shut down. But just knowing that they had a piece of one of the most haunted places in England in their house amongst Ar- all of the... Arguably in the world. Mm-hmm. It's pretty high up there. Yep. Um, and some of the... I wish there was, not to say better photographic proof, because I do realize this was the early 1900s, um, and photography was still very new. But I wish there was just a little bit more or newer photos because I don't I all of the photos that I found were from the early 1900s. Super short, but very interesting. Um, that was the Broly Rectory and the brick, I'm sure, is still at the Warren Museum. Just we can't go and see it. We can't knock nicely on the door and, and take a look. Can I go see your brick? Can I see the brick, please? So, let me start with this. Have you seen any of the movies in this Ed and Lorraine Warren fictionalized universe? I have seen all of them. The Conjuring, all the Annabelle. In fact, I'm sitting. In fact, I am sitting in my horror movies in chill hoodie. As you do. As I do, because yes, okay, I have seen all. Cool. Of them. Okay. Are they any? I don't want to say are they any good because they've done really well. I mean, they're one of the most popular franchises of the later half or I mean of the, the decade yeah I have problems with some of them um mm. the nun is probably my favorite um the second conjuring I was I know where you're going with this and you're going to be disappointed but because I know this particular story very very well mm-hmm. um the Annabelle movies unfortunately just ruined it for me um they the conjuring they very they I think what kills it for me is because I know the story mm-hmm. and I know what Annabelle's supposed to look like and because there were so many creative licensing taken with it, it didn't it just didn't sit well with me. Right. Um, the, I love the conjuring movies. The first one is probably one of my favorite in the series aside from the nun. Um, How do you feel about Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga? As the Warrens? As as the Warrens, yeah. I Honestly, I like the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, I I even like the casting of their daughter. I can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head. I'm a horrible person. I'm sorry. But I do like the casting. The casting is one of is really, really good. Um, the casting for the nun. Oh, oh my gosh, what's her name? Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Cause she is absolutely phenomenal. Because what they did with her, um, because she has just such a very interesting, because she just has very interesting facial features to begin mm-hmm. with, uh, Bonnie Ares, Aaron's, they literally just That's wild. Because she's, she is so, and I'm going to put it this way, she's so beautiful and she's so different looking. Which is why I think she's so pretty. But very unique. Very, very unique. Um I love the casting. Um unfortunately the nun didn't do as well as the conjuring movies themselves. Mm-hmm. 
but because I, I think I think I've I've never seen them, but I think the Conjuring movies are a really interesting take on these cases that the Warrens are known for, right? So like, what's the difference between say the Conjuring and Amityville Horror, or you know what I mean? What's yeah? The, wh- where's that like, humanization? The I think that's Conjuring. The Conjuring series versus Amityville Horror. I want to say that the Conjuring series is this generation's Amityville because there were multiple Amityville movies that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just focusing more on the Warrens. But that's fair. That's fair. But yes, I know it because I know what you're doing. And I have opinions. <laughs> Um, I'm going to let you take over from here. (laughs) So, Holly kind of spoiled it for you, but when I say the name Annabelle, most people think of this leering gray-green porcelain doll with sandy blonde braids, right? And you probably know her because she's one of several antagonists in the Conjuring universe, which, as we've mentioned is a series of films exploring some of Anne Lorraine Warren's most infamous cases. But I think there aren't enough people who know the true story behind the doll that once took residence at the now defunct occult museum and doll with a handwritten note below its glass case. So my sources are Wikipedia, an allthatsinteresting.com article by Katie Serena, a YouTube video by The Paranormal Scholar, a Yahoo Entertainment article by Joel Ryan, and Nesper's website, which is the New England Society for Psychic Research, which has since taken over the Warrens' um, sort of branding, I guess, since Anne Lorraine has since passed. So the actual Annabelle is, in fact, a Raggedy Ann doll likely manufactured by the Knickerbocker Toy Company sometime in the late 1960s, Annabelle was a birthday gift. A nursing student by the name of either Deidre or Donna. We're going to go with Donna just for consistency because that's what they refer to her as on the Nesper website. She was given the doll by her mother for her 28th birthday. She brought it back to the apartment she shared with fellow nursing student Angie. Donna placed a raggedy Ann on her bed. When she returned home later that afternoon, the doll's arms and legs were often in different positions. Sometimes her legs were crossed. Sometimes her arms were crossed neatly in her lap. Sometimes her arms reached outward for Donna. On occasion, Donna would place her on the sofa in the living room, only for the girls to return to find her on Donna's bed with the door closed. Once, Donna, Angie, and Angie's fiancé, Lou, came home to find Raggedy Ann kneeling on a chair. They tried to debunk the position, like the ghost hunters they are. They failed. Doll's soft flopping over as it had no joints or support to keep it in the kneeling position. Now, a doll that moves of its own accord is creepy enough, but the nurses began to find parchment paper scrawled with the words, help me, help us, and help Lou throughout their apartment. The thing about these notes is that neither girl kept parchment paper on the premises which is showing up out of nowhere. Paranoid that someone was breaking into their place, Donna and Angie began to move things around and marked windows and doors in an attempt to catch their intruder in the act. The girls came home to discover the backs of the doll's hands covered in what appeared to be blood. 
just absorb that for a moment. Mm-hmm. They contacted a clairvoyant who determined that a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins had taken an interest in the Raggedy Ann doll. Annabelle used to play in the fields the apartments were then built on. After her death, she wandered lonely, first the fields, then the apartments, until Donna and Angie moved in and brought the Raggedy Ann with them. Annabelle asked if she could inhabit the doll and stay with the young women. They agreed, sympathetic to a child's loneliness. Lou, however, wasn't so convinced that Annabelle was simply a sweet little girl. He saw it as more of a voodoo doll, intending ill will. Annabelle did not take kindly to Lou's suspicion. He began to have nightmares and was once attacked in the middle of the night. He woke to find Annabelle on his chest and the doll wrapped around his throat. Despite the lightness of a rag doll, it took all of his strength to push her off claiming it was like pushing a wall. Several nights later, when Louis and Angie were alone in the apartment, they had noises coming from Donna's room. When Lou went to investigate, he found Annabelle tossed to the floor. That's when, Lou claimed, he was attacked. He felt searing pain, claws being torn down his chest. When Angie found him, he was covered in blood. Enter Ed and Lorraine. The nurses contacted the local priest, Father Hegan, who in turn contacted his superior, Father Cook, who then contacted the Warrens. Almost immediately, determined they were dealing with an inhuman spirit. The signs were clear. Teleportation, Annabelle moved on her own. Materialization, the parchment notes appearing from nowhere. And the, quote-unquote, mark of the beast, claw marks on Lou's chest. Quote, Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. The spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. End quote. The nurses gave the spirit permission to inhabit the doll, opening the door from something much more dangerous. The Warrens asked Father Cook to perform an Episcopal exorcism on the apartment, which, as I understand it, Episcopal exorcisms are lengthy processes. Like, hours. Sometimes days. Hours for cleansing. The Warrens took custody of the doll, but their drive home to Monroe, Connecticut, was not without incident. Annabelle was buckled safely into the back seat, and the decision was made to avoid highways for fear of an accident. Lorraine claimed that the brakes stalled or failed en route home, nearly causing several crashes. As soon as Ed drenched the doll in holy water and performed the sign of the cross, did the problem with the brakes stop? At home, Annabelle was sat in Ed's study, but the activity didn't stop with the change of scenery. The doll allegedly levitated, and even when removed from the home, found its way back. It seemed to also dislike the clergy. Father Jason Bradford, a Catholic exorcist, visited the Warrens. He mocked the doll, picked her up, and said, You're just a rag doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone, and tossed her back onto her chair. On his drive home, his brakes failed, and Father Bradford was in a nearly fatal accident at a busy intersection that totaled his car. The Warrens had a special case built for Annabelle at their museum. The wooden frame is inscribed with both the Lord's Prayer and St. Michael's Prayer, And Ed Wood, until his death in 2006, 
periodically say a binding prayer over the entire case to keep Annabelle in her glass box. A sign beneath her reads, warning, positively do not open. Again, the occult museum has since permanently closed. It's safe to assume Annabelle is secure in her case. It's never been opened since. The rain explicitly forbade it. Again, while I've never seen any of the Conjuring films, nor Annabelle spinoff, and therefore cannot say how the story lives up to real life, I do, however, know I find Raggedy Ann Annabelle and her black, lifeless eyes far scarier than the off-color, grinning porcelain doll. Okay, so as someone who has seen the Conjuring movies and the Annabelle movies, and knowing the story, I absolutely hate the Annabelle movies because of it. Um, isn't there, and if I'm remembering correctly, aren't there accounts of um, people who would go and see the Annabelle doll at the Warren Museum, like they would taunt her and then something terrible would happen to them? So on Nesper's website, they tell the story of a young man and his girlfriend who'd arrived on motorcycle. Um, yep. And he was like tapping on the glass and just instigating. And Ed kicked him out and was like, son, you got to leave. Um, and they were in a really bad crash on the motorcycle. And what the Warrens came to find out was that they were laughing about the doll all the way home until they got into this accident. Um, Don't yeah. mess with malicious spirits, people. Don't mess with Annabelle. Um, there was recently, Annabelle was recently on display at like a talk. Mm-hmm. Within the last, like, month or so. Um, again, they brought the whole case. They didn't move her out of her case. Um, it's really not recommended to take pictures. No. Um, it's just sort of like Robert the doll. Which this, equally is creepy. We could have made this whole doll-themed episode. Um, which Robert the doll, you actually have to ask for permission. Or say, Robert, I'm going to take a picture. Um before you do so. Um, I think Annabelle is a very similar sort of situation. Yeah. It may not be quite as explicit, but I personally would ask for permission before I take a photograph of a possessed okay. Raggedy Ann doll. No, not just a possessed Raggedy Ann doll, a possessed anything. Possessed, yeah, possessed anything. Possessed anything. You, you don't mean, just walk into something like that and go all full-blown tourist. No, I do... The way I see it is you do co- convention roles. I used to do anime conventions all of the time, and then mm-hmm. COVID and money. Um, you never not ask for permission to take someone's picture. Yeah. Period. That hard. Um, it's never not a thing. You always ask. If you get told no, you say, okay, I respect you, and you walk away, or you pay them a lovely compliment. Same idea. Um, yeah. You don't not ask permission to something that's possessed. And however you feel about the Warrens, like, there's a lot of criticism on this case specifically because Ed has come under a lot of fire or had in the past come under a lot of fire as being a hoax or about being a cliche or about being super hammy Um, regardless of how you feel about it. I think the fact that there are so many people who respect the story mm-hmm. holds a lot of weight. You know? Yeah. 
So does the story in the Annabelle films follow, the original Annabelle film anyway, follow the story of Annabelle? Or is it kind of fictionalized? Yes. It's a good so, mix of the two? It's a very good mix of the two. Um, okay. Because you haven't seen them, I would recommend watching The Conjuring first. Because before The Conjuring even starts, that it shows that first clip of Annabelle and the Warrens going to help the... Uh, nursing students Mm -hmm, the girls that that I feel is more accurately portrayed than it is in the Annabelle film where yes they do still have that scene Mm -hmm. but it's definitely over uh, overplayed and dramatized opposed to like the um my brain stopped working opposed to the actual story Okay, um, but it doesn't di- divert, right? It's like doll given to nursing student, nursing student brings it home, everything starts to get crazy. Yes. Okay. So the bare bones of the story is is the same. Yeah. Okay. I also learned in my research, in my homework, that there's a reason it's not a raggedy end all. Um, and Lorraine actually had some input on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what it is, is that number one, it's a licensed figure. Um, yeah. And they didn't want it to run the risk of ruining the image of another license, which they don't have access to. And Lorraine actually found the porcelain doll, like the movie Annabelle, far scarier than actual Annabelle. Like, I mean, a lot of Upon people... first glance. Yeah. Um, a lot of people actually do not like dolls, specifically portion. Well, that's the Uncanny Valley. Okay. I mean, that's that's what the Uncanny Valley is. It's, mm-hmm. it's people have a fear of things that are humanoid in nature. So, I don't know. Dolls don't bother me. Dolls don't bother me either. Mm-hmm. Our uncle collects beautiful dolls. Mm-hmm. Collects, customizes. Mm-hmm. Art pieces. Oh, Now, I mean, if you, you would ask me, do I believe that everything in the Warren's Museum is necessarily haunted or belongs to the occult? No. No. Not really. The fact that they have a small collection of children's tombstones makes me uncomfortable, though. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, well, not the other thing, but like, I don't know, you know me, I'm very, not very involved because because that would mean I'm a, a crusader and and I that's my content in life um but I am very much of the mindset that death is not a scary thing um I'm all here for the death positivity movement I think cemeteries are fun places to hang out oh absolutely as long as you're being just dis- being very respectful and all of that good stuff mm-hmm. and stay socially distanced mm-hmm. <laughs> oops Um, there was another one that I almost did. Oh. Uh, give me one second, because I have to find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable doing it, because it's very, very close to home for us. Oh. If it will load, everything will be great. Um, it's supposedly a satanic idol. Okay. Uh, um, so... 
to quote a Screen Rant list, the satanic idol manages to look both goofy and terrifying with its wide eyes and slim figure, cutting an unnerving figure. The, the idol itself was found in the woods of Sandy Hook in Connecticut. Oh. The Warrens believing it was used in satanic rituals. The idol was found by a young hunter who encountered an old man in black robes soon after seeing it. The hunter was put into contact with the Warrens, and the idol has been in the occult museum ever since. See, this is where I get a little skeptical. Not frustrated, but skeptical with the Warrens, because they sort of rose to popularity, or a lot of their bigger cases happened at the height of the satanic panic. Yep. Um, so I think there's a lot of, or there was a lot of playing into that. Mm-hmm. You know, as respectfully as possible, I think there was a lot of, of showboating. Oh, absolutely. For that cultural moment in time. Like, looking at this thing, I don't think it is. I no. really don't. No. Um, I mean, Connecticut is so old. It, I mean, mm-hmm. New England knows, but Connecticut's one of those old states where folk art takes some weird shapes. Yep. You um, know. It also doesn't say when this was found either. Mm-hmm. Or at least in this article, I'm sure if I did some digging. But hold on, because now I'm going to do a little bit of digging. If it was found any time, oh my gosh, computer stop. If it was found any time during a particular incident in Sandy Hook, I would not be surprised if this is what it's now being called. I mean, mm-hmm. 2012? Yeah. I think it predates that, because Ed it, died in 2006. But even still, it's... It's one of those things where I don't want to look into because every time you put in a particular, if anytime you put in Sandy Hook into any search, no matter what prefaces, you're always going to come across the yeah. unfortunate tragedy in 2012. Yeah. And I'm not about it. No. So there is one more Ed and Lorraine Warren case I think we're going to talk about a little more in depth, but it's going to have to wait um, because The Conjuring 3 the Devil Made Me Do It um, is based on a case that took place literally five minutes from our childhood home. Yep. Um, the film was supposed to come out this year, September 11th, 2020, which that was a decision, but has since been pushed back to, I want to say, June 4th, 2021. So we're going to have to go see it. Um, side note, there's another movie that we're going to have to go see. Because I found out about it and I'm very excited about it. Um, oh. For those of you who do not know, I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. Um, I like 90% of his movies. And one of his very dear friends and actor in the um, Devil's Rejects series, um, Sig Haig, unfortunately passed away recently in the past couple of years. Well, apparently he was to star in another movie. Was it this year or last year? I want to say it was last year. Um, But he was set to come 
star in a movie that was supposed to come out this year, and unfortunately he didn't. It was last year. Uh, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And that's supposedly coming out, and I cannot find the title because I think it was a working title that I found. So hopefully that's yeah. coming out sometime next next year as well. Fair. But yeah, so that's one more Unlearning Warren case that I wanted to really take a deep dive in and look at. Um, there's a book about the Devil Made Me Do It case, mm-hmm. um, but its used copies are literally like $250. This thing is impossible to find. Abrupto is the film, Sig Hayden's okay. last film. It also okay. has Robert Englund in it. Ooh. It's supposedly animated. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, so there's Devil Made Me Do It case. Um, like I said, there's a book. It's literally like $250 to $500 used copies on Amazon. Um, I want to get my hands on it and read it. But we'll see. Anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Relevant imagery for this episode will be where, Holly? On our Instagram at Sister Strange Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Sister Strange Podcast. You can always email us if you have something you'd like to say at Sisters Strange Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the one. You can support us on Patreon, which the link for that is at Sister Strange. Link for that's in the description for this episode. Um, also in our link tree all the fun stuff is there um and we'll see you next week bye everybody bye bye